This is Tales from the Road with Rick Lavoie, the official podcast of www.ricklavoie.com. This was an extraordinarily wonderful year for me and my family, as you may or may not know. My book was published in August, It's So Much Work to Be Your Friend by Simon & Schuster, and I spent the fall on the road on a book tour touring 30 cities um, and talking about the book and doing a number of radio interviews and I've received some very kind response from people in regard to those. Um, writing a book was a very, very interesting uh, experience. Uh, it's a book that had been banging around in my head for about 30 years and I finally put it down on paper and it's regarding social skills for kids with special needs and we'll be talking about that in the next several podcasts and discussing the, um, uh, the ins and outs and intricacies of social skill difficulties for our kids. One of the biggest surprises that's come about as a result of the publication of the book is that I've received so many emails from parents of kids who don't have special needs who are saying that their kids are having similar difficulties making and keeping friends, same kinds of difficulties that our kids with learning disabilities have. And it seems that we have something of a friendship crisis in America. Uh, This generation of kids, if you think about it, has lost a, a laboratory, a social laboratory that we've always had. When I was a kid, it was go outside and uh, come inside, come back inside. It was on a Saturday or uh, after school, go outside and come in when the streetlights go on. And it was up to the kids to go out and find and make friendships and have pickup ball games and those kinds of things. And those days are gone in many communities. It seems that the days of the pickup ball games have been replaced with organized sports. And the pickup ball games where you'd play ball in a sandlot or in a ball field with just a group of kids and no adult supervision... As I said, those were social laboratories. They were opportunities to learn how to negotiate, how to take turns, how to play fair, um, how to wait your turn. And now it seems kids are so involved in organized sports, there's always an adult someplace that settles those skirmishes. I'll be visiting a school to lecture or consult, and I'll be walking down the hallway of a school, and because I've got a sport jacket and a tie on, some 14-year-old kid will stop me and say, Hey, mister, that kid took my pencil. Tell him to give it back to me. I couldn't imagine at 14 asking an adult to intervene in that. Those were kinds of things that kids kids settled among themselves. But again, kids have lost that laboratory. Uh, play dates have been become the coin of the realm, the social coin of the realm now in many communities where kids spend most of their recreational social time on prearranged play dates. And um, I long for the days that you used to just go over to somebody's house and sit down and play a game of Monopoly on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, No rules, no structure, no mom and dad getting involved, uh, just playing a game of Monopoly and learning again how to wait your turn and take turns and play fairly. Uh, It's very distressing to see in many states, uh, which recently in Portland, Oregon, and they announced that the school board had uh, eliminated recess for all of the elementary schools in the the city or, or recommended strongly against recess for elementary school kids. And again, it's another laboratory that they've lost. It's another opportunity for kids to interact without direct adult supervision. So all these laboratories seem to have gone away, and as a result, kids don't know how to make friends and keep friends. And of course, the problem is particularly difficult for kids with learning problems. Why is it important? Why is childhood friendship so important? Well, uh, there was research done at the University of Ottawa, ex- 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 extraordinarily good research it was done, that had as its final report, and I'll quote it directly, the final line in the report was that good positive social relationships in childhood and adolescence are a better predictor of adult happiness than either IQ or academic achievement. Let me repeat that if I could for emphasis. 
Good positive social relationships in childhood and adolescence are a better predictor of adult happiness than either IQ or academic achievement. In other words, if these kids are going to be happy and well-adjusted adults, they're going to have to have positive friendship, positive peer relationships as kids. And if they're deprived of that, then they're just not going to be as well-adjusted and as socially adept and as socially competent as adults as we would have them be. The book received a number of very kind reviews, and in the New York Times review, it referred to it as a breakthrough. And I think that the breakthrough is this, that for years and years, for a generation now, we've always assumed that we knew the child with learning disabilities had social skill difficulties. That was well established. But we always assumed that it was an indirect result of the learning disability. For instance, uh, uh, the child had a learning disability, therefore he failed in school and the school failure caused the social isolation. So we thought it was an indirect connection. The learning disability caused school failure, and school failure caused the uh, social rejection. Now I think we realize that, it, that it's not an indirect connection at all. In fact, the learning disability actually causes the social skill difficulty. And even if the child is doing well academically in school, he may still, he or she may still be rejected and isolated in the playground. Because if a child has a learning disability, it's a neurologically based system. And this neurological system that the child has that's quirky and doesn't work particularly well, it's the same neurological system he has on weekends that he has during the week. Um, I try to bring the perspective to parents and teachers that kids go to school about a thousand hours a year. And that represents only about 15% of their waking time. The rest of the time is spent on the playground, in the hallways, uh, before school, after school, in the neighborhood, on the school bus. And that's where our kids are really falling down. Their in-school time, as I said, represents only about 15% of their waking hours. And the rest of their time is spent in social environments. And the learning disability rears its ugly head in those social environments tremendously. Uh, it only makes sense. The child who has a memory problem in his third period math class and can't remember the times tables is also going to have a memory problem when he goes to soccer practice. So he's going to forget that the coach doesn't like the kids to yell during drills. He's going to forget when he goes to grandma's house that she doesn't like him playing in the garden. So that memory problem that plagues him in his math class is going to plague him literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The, uh, in future podcasts, we're going to be talking about the specific difficulties, social skill difficulties that our kids have. But the research, again, shows a number of things very, very clearly, and that is that they tend to act inappropriately in public. They have a great deal of difficulty solving, solving social problems, which, again, makes sense. We know they have difficulty with executive strategizing and things that makes it difficult for them to solve math problems and word problems. Why shouldn't we also assume they're going to have difficulty solving social problems? They tend to be more rejected by their peers. Uh, in a study that was done um, at the University of Washington, it was shown that approximately 17% of kids in a typical high school report that they have major problems with their peers. When it comes to a population of learning disabled kids, it's over 75%. So that certainly is uh, statistically significant. Our kids tend to overreact and have tremendous difficulty um, dealing with new situations and transitions. And for our first podcast, let me talk about that issue, particularly to parents. Let's talk about how you prepare a child for a new situation. What I find many times is that the child has his greatest difficulty in any new social situation. And I think we, under, we need to understand why this happens. There are basically three reasons why public settings are difficult for our kids. For instance, going to the supermarket with your child, with your nine-year-old hyperactive attention deficit disorder child, can be a nightmare. And if you think about it, there are three reasons for that. 
Number one, it's a transition. It's a new experience, and our kids don't deal well, well with transitions. We know that through the research and through experience. Number two, when you're in a public setting, there are invariably what I call conflicting objectives. That is to say, when you go to the supermarket with your son before dinner on Tuesday night, you and your son have completely different objectives for that trip. Your objective is you want to go in, get a loaf of wheat bread, a gallon of 2% milk, and get home and finish dinner. He goes to the supermarket. His objective is I want to see if there's any new comic books. I want to see if there are any dead lobsters in the lobster tank. And I want to spin that card carousel around that has the greeting cards in it because that's fun to spin around. So your objective and his objectives are totally different. And the third reason that it's so difficult for our kids is rather an ironic one. Even though mom and dad know that one and two is true, that this is a difficult situation for this kid and there are conflicting objectives, ironically, mom and dad want the child to be on his best behavior in a public setting. So it's sort of a strike one, strike two, strike three situation for these kids in public or new settings. So what I recommend to parents and to professionals is this. If you're going to have your child involved in a new situation, there are two things you need to do. You need to prepare the child for the situation and prepare the situation for the child. And the example I use of that is, suppose your child is going to go to a, a church meeting at the church hall on Tuesday night. Well, Monday night, the evening before the meeting, you take him to the church hall when, when there's no one else there and you show him the place. You say, look, John, look, at there's a flag over there. I know you love flags. Let's go take a look at it. Why don't you touch it now so it's out of your system because you really probably want to leave that flag alone. Now, over here, um, there's a computer. There's a, they're going to have a, obviously, they're going to show a, a DVD tomorrow, and they've got the computer set up. Now, it looks a lot like Dad's, um, but you don't want to touch that. You want to leave it alone, but you know what? If the, if the leader of the meeting says, does somebody want to run the projector, you know how to do that, so you might want to volunteer for that. Now let's go look and find out where the bathrooms are. Um, let's sit in the seats and decide what kind of what's where you'd like to sit at tomorrow's meeting. In other words, what you do is you prepare the child for the situation. You do a dry run. So when he goes to the meeting the next night, he's going to have to meet new people and learn new things. But at least he's familiar with the environment. And the second thing we need to do beyond preparing the child for the situation, the second thing is something that parents often forget, and that is preparing the situation for the child. Take a moment and call the leader, whoever's going to be running the meeting, the teacher or the coach, call that person and give them a little bit of information about your child. This is a, a step that parents often leave out. Your child has a learning disability. He looks at the world very differently than other kids. Certainly if your child had a peanut allergy or, or uh, had diabetes, you would educate the teacher to that, to that uh, specific a part of this kid's development so that no mistakes would be made. Well, your child has a developmental problem as well. And so it's very appropriate. It's part of your right and responsibility to notify the coach, to call the teacher and say, listen, let me explain a little bit about my son. He's a great kid, but he has difficulty paying attention and he has a great deal of difficulty reading. So if you could consider that when you're working with him tomorrow night, I'd really appreciate it. You can head off so many problems by being proactive and letting the coach or the teacher know a little bit about what your kid is all about. Now, Ronald Reagan used to say to his cabinet something very, very wise. He used to say, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. In other words, don't come into the office and to the Oval Office and say, Mr. President, we've got this huge problem. Come into the office and say, Mr. President, we have this problem. Here are seven or eight solutions we've generated. Which solution do you think we ought to use? Use that same technique when you're dealing with teachers or coaches or kids or people who are going to be working with your kid. 
Don't bring the person problems, bring them solutions. So you go to the coach and you say, Coach, my son's going to be on your baseball team next year. He's a great kid, great little shortstop, has a great stick, moves great to his right and left, but he has difficulty following directions. And what we find very helpful is to make sure that he's looking at you when you give him an instruction and have him repeat the instruction back to you before he begins the activity because he's also gotten very good at pretending he understands something when he really doesn't. He'll nod as if he knows what you're, what you're saying when perhaps he doesn't. So just ask him quickly to say, could you please repeat to me what I just asked you to do? Ron, I want you to go over there and play on the left side of the field. What side of the field, Ron? The left side. Good, Ron, go ahead. Make sure he's understood. And by giving the coach or the teacher not only the problem, presenting the problem, but also some field-tested solution to the problem, you're going to find that things go a lot smoother for those kids. Parents and teachers, coaches need to realize again that these kids look at the world in a very, very different way than the rest of us do. In future podcasts, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, paralinguistics, which basically addresses the fact that uh, uh, these kids don't understand body language, they don't understand tone of voice. If you were to go out to dinner with... Um, with someone and at the end of the meal the person would say well boy I'll come back to this restaurant real soon the tone of their voice tells you even though the words are saying they're going to go back to that restaurant the tone of voice shows you that they clearly were displeased with the restaurant um, the overwhelming percentage of that message was delivered by the tone of voice not by the words and it's been estimated that about 90% of, of what we communicate with each other, we communicate by the tone of our voice and our body language and facial expressions, not the words. And so our kids, because they don't understand the body language, they don't understand posture, they don't understand gestures, they don't understand those, those paralinguistics, those nonverbal signals, they often misinterpret messages from other people. They don't know when you're being sarcastic. They don't know when they are being sarcastic. And the next podcast, we're going to really get into that and talk about that. It's been said that uh, you can be a successful child if you, do th if you can do three things. If you can listen, wait your turn, and follow the rules, you're going to be fairly successful as a kid. And if you look at those three things, listening, waiting your turn, and following the rules, that again is a strike one, strike two, strike three for the kid with learning and attentional problems. It's difficult for them to listen because of the language problems. Waiting their turn, of course, is difficult because of their impulsivity and following the rules. They're often very, very confused by rules. They forget rules because of the memory problems. And so it's strike one, strike two, and strike three. We shouldn't be surprised that kids have such a tremendous difficulty in the social world. A colleague of mine was doing a uh, panel with a group of 15, 13-year-old children with learning disabilities, boys and girls. And at the end of the meeting, he asked them the magic wand question. He said, if I were to give you a magic wand, and you could use that magic wand to get rid of either all of your academic problems and you do better in school, or get rid of all of your social problems and you'd have more friends, which would you choose? How would you use the wand? All 15 said they would use it to eliminate their social problems. It truly is a nightmare for these kids, but gratefully we have the information now. We know, we know how to help these kids. In our book, what we've done is taken social skills and broken them down into finite points where, uh, much as we've done with reading, 
uh, 30 years ago you used to say this child has difficulty with reading. Well, that doesn't tell anyone anything from a diagnostic point of view. Now we've broken reading down into hundreds of mini steps. And so we can say that child has difficulty with phonemic awareness. This child has difficulty with reading comprehension. That child has difficulty with vocabulary development. And we've taken reading and broken it down into its finite points so we can teach each of those individual points. And that's what we've done now with social skills. By taking social skills, instead of just saying the child has poor social skills or is socially incompetent, we've taken the social skills and broken them down so that each of those can be taught in steps. What we plan to do with this podcast, hopefully people will subscribe to it and be regular listeners, and as I travel around the country, and I'm looking forward to an extensive tour we're doing through Australia in the summer, as I travel around the country and the world talking about kids with learning disabilities, we'll put these podcasts together on a regular basis where people can sort of tune in and take these trips with me. I feel very, very privileged after 30 years of running schools and working in schools to now sort of be out there as a spokesman for kids with learning disabilities. And I learn a great deal when I'm on the road, meet some wonderful people, and have some stories that may be of interest to you. So I hope you'll become a regular subscriber to this, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to take some of those trips with me. Uh, When I'm out there working with parents, working with kids, and working with schools, I really feel that I'm something of an ambassador for all of you moms and dads and teachers who work so hard with our kids every day. So just trying to spread the word and let people know about the difficulties our kids have, but also some solutions that we've come up with that can assist them as they as they grow. Uh, it's been was said by Carl Menninger that uh, that which society does to children, those children will do to society. And we don't want a generation of angry kids who are upset and disappointed with us because we didn't use the information that we have to teach them in an appropriate way. So signing off for now, we look forward to our next podcast. Please uh, consult the website and see where we are. And uh, if we happen to be in your town or in your community, we would love to meet you. Take care now. Rick Lavoie's book, It's So Much Work to Be Your Friend, Helping the Child with Learning Disabilities Find Social Success, is available at bookstores across the country and online at Amazon.com. For more information about Rick, his work, and his schedule of appearances, visit www.ricklavoie.com. 